I want to welcome you this morning. I also want to welcome Sudden Valley, who's joining us, and everybody else who's online. And, uh, but I want to congratulate you for surviving the apocalypse. And I'm not talking about Mayan calendar. I'm talking about returning your gifts to Costco, Walmart, Target. That's a big accomplishment. Well done. Um, Christmas in this culture, it actually proves a point for me that, that at the very deepest part of who we are is that we're treasure hunters. And we're seeking treasure. We're seeking things of immeasurable value. So uh, I want you to think back to when you were a kid. Or if you're a kid, I want you to think back like three days ago. And you're hoping for treasure underneath the tree. Right? You're like scouring your parents' favorite hiding places. And uh, you're looking for like the toys or the games. Or if you're here a couple weeks ago, you heard Pastor Todd preaching. You're hoping for the flame retardant pajamas. Uh, adults, maybe you're not looking for flame-retardant pajamas, but for you, it's the, the silver Audi A6 sedan, 2013, and it's, you were hoping that it was in your driveway with a big red bow, right? Did anybody get one of those? Anybody? Okay, it's too bad. Um, but maybe it's not that, but it's, maybe you're, just, you're looking for the perfect family reunion that finally has harmony. Maybe your treasure is like the, the great turkey. Maybe your treasure is just, just a few moments of rest. But, but Christmas, it brings out the treasure hunter in us. And I am definitely a treasure hunter. This is me. So uh, what, this is a little bit awkward and embarrassing. But when I was in kindergarten, I had a treasure box. It was a shoe box. And I kept it in my bottom left drawer. And I'd take out that shoe box. And inside that shoe box was a collection of dried glue. <laughs> like, I have no idea why I did this, but for some reason, like, putting the Elmer's glue on your desk and letting it dry and then peeling off the strip, that was like the best thing in the world to me, and I collected it in the shoebox. Okay? Whatever. <laughs> it was a treasure. But we are, we're wired to desire treasure. It's in some of the deepest part of who we are, and so... So Jesus tells a parable. He wanted to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. So I want to read the, the, uh, the, uh, the parable. It's really short. It's 34 words, okay? And it taps into this treasure-seeking nature of us. And Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. And, uh, and I want to just give a little, I want to give a little background. First, he's speaking to largely agricultural community where land ownership meant way more to them than it does to, to most of us today. So if you own land back then in the first century, uh, that was your food source. That was security for you, not just for you, but your family, but for generations following you. But secondly, land had a really important religious uh, meaning to them because the God of Israel promised Abraham that his descendants would have land flowing with milk and honey. It was the promised land. And so land for a first century Jew meant everything. And so, but Jesus is speaking to people that are largely lower class, poor 
marginalized outcasts who didn't have a prayer of owning land. So when Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, he's saying it's not just land, but it's land with treasure. And what he's trying to convey to us is the kingdom of heaven isn't just amazing, it's beyond amazing. So let me attempt to translate this parable to a modern audience. And and if Jesus was here today, right now, this is how he might tell the parable to us. Okay, The kingdom of heaven is like an unlimited woods coffee card that a hipster finds in a pair of skinny jeans while shopping at the Buffalo Exchange consignment shop. And then sells all of his college textbooks so he can go and buy those skinny jeans. Okay, that connected with like nobody in the 830 service and like maybe 1% of this service. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me try again. This is, this is part two. Let's see if I can capture a few more of you. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a Mount Baker lift ticket lifetime that a snowboarder finds in a used VW Westphalia on the Wilson Motor parking lot and goes and sells all of the free-range chickens in the front yard so they can go and buy that Westphalia. Okay? I caught a little more of you, (laughs) but in case there's anybody left out, Jesus might say this, the kingdom of heaven is like a no-name runt of a Seahawk quarterback that gets drafted in the third round, becomes rookie of the year, leads your team to the Super Bowl, and then there's 10 years of NFL dynasty in Seattle. <laughs> All right, so, so that's the meaning of the parable. So <laughs> Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is something of immeasurable value with great joy, costs you everything to get. But the bargain is so well worth it. And this is a parable about the kingdom. And so for us, we're, uh, the whole concept of kingdom, it doesn't connect with 21st century North Americans really well because our concept of, of kingdom is, is kind of colored through the lens of like Lord of the Rings maybe or Prince Charles or uh, the Magic Kingdom, Disneyland, and, and so it's tough for us to connect because we live in a representative republic with elected officials, and so we don't really get kingdom. But, uh, but Jesus, when he's teaching about the kingdom, what he's referring to is the rule and the reign of the king and the rule and reign of Jesus. So kingdoms exist only where the king is effectively ruling and reigning. It's where the king's laws govern. It's where the king's wishes are the people's commands. It's where the king protects and provides for his subjects. It's where the goodwill of the king extends to his people. And I want to know if that describes you. Is Jesus ruling and reigning in your heart, in your life, right now. Because if he is, there's the kingdom of God. Now, we don't really see, like, castles and things like that, so we want to know, well, where is this kingdom? And, and again, it's, it's, it's hard to connect sometimes, but, but 
right now, the rule and reign of the king is perfect in heaven, without competition. So Jesus, when he taught on prayer, his central teaching on prayer was this, when he taught his disciples, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And right now, the rule and reign of Jesus is perfect in heaven. So his love, his mercy, his righteousness, his peace is without competition in heaven, fully complete there. But on earth is a different story because God's rule and reign has some competition. We could say that it's partial, but it means that there's another kingdom on this earth that's competing. And let me just illustrate this. So this is my Bible, and, and um, that's Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in my Bible. It's a single page. And this page represents uh, an eternity past. It also represents a moment of creation. And it re- represents a short, teeny little part of history where we didn't muck it up. And then the fall happened. And then there was an opening that God allowed a competing kingdom. But this page right here is an eternity past of God's rule and reign without competition and purpose. So then in the back of my Bible, here is Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There it is. Pretty teeny. Uh, but this, these, this page represents the time when Jesus returns and once again fully establishes his rule and reign, his kingdom on earth. And this page represents an eternity future of once again complete love and justice and righteousness and goodness without competition. And so we're stuck between an eternity past and eternity future, and this is us, all of the rest of it. And right now, on earth and in our hearts, there's competition, there's a competing kingdom and Jesus taught very, very clearly there's two kingdoms right now. There's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of light. And anything or anyone that competes in your life for the rule and the reign of Jesus is outside of his kingdom. And, and actually, that's the definition of an idol. It's something that's receiving your attention and your worship that's allowing, uh, that you allow to rule you instead of Jesus. And, and right now we're, we're in a time where there's sin and there's sorrow. There's grief. There's despair. There's rampant injustice. There's evil. And maybe some of you experience that coming out of and the result of a fallen world that rejects the rule and reign of the king is horrific. And that's both in your life and the world. It's right in your heart. But, but there's good news because Jesus came and, and his kingdom is coming. And that's why he teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Now, the, the, the really good news is that uh, 
the kingdom of God isn't something that's like in some far distant land and the galaxies far away, or it's not like in some far distant foggy future, but, but Jesus preached that the kingdom of heaven is near and it's now. And the good, that's such good news because it's, the kingdom isn't some way distant thing, but it's right here, it's near, it's now. It's right at hand, and it's available to people that are broken. God's kingdom is available to people that are fallen. God's kingdom are available to people who utterly rejected the king, and he's still welcoming them. In fact, the opening statement of Jesus, and this is, remember, Jesus is God, and he's coming to earth. So what's the first thing that God publicly says to a fallen world in his his, uh, in the beginning of his ministry. The very first thing that he preaches is this. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. And elsewhere he says, the kingdom of God is within you, and the kingdom of God is at hand, and, and that's such good news. And, and are you here today with a heavy heart? Because are you marginalized? Are you left out? Have you struggled with addiction for years? Have you fallen more times than you can count? Are you beat, dead, tired? Are you raising kids alone? Are you isolated? Do you not have help? Are you coming away from another Christmas where you're feeling empty and depressed? The kingdom of heaven is available for you. It's near and it's now. When I was preparing this and, and, and reading through this parable, I, I really struggled with the idea of, well, why is it hidden, right? So the parable says that it, the kingdom is like treasure that's hidden in the field, and I kind of struggled with that. And, uh, but Jesus actually answers that question a lot throughout, throughout Scripture. He says that uh, not everybody has eyes to see. The number one thing that shuts our eyes is sin. It's our own rebellion against the king. And and the kingdom becomes invisible to us when we rebel against the rule of the king. The prophet Jeremiah says that God hides his face because of evil, sin, and rebellion. And when Jesus was on earth and he's doing his public ministry, he did a lot of miracles, and it wasn't just so he could show off his superpowers. He was trying to establish his credentials and his his um, authority and his right to take the title of king as he's beginning his kingdom. And so there was thousands and possibly tens of thousands of people that were eyewitnesses to the miracles of Jesus. So, I mean, they saw uh, healing, casting out demons, calming the seas, walking on water, raising people from the dead, reading the minds of people, multiplying loaves of fishes, predicting his own death and resurrection and then making it happen. And that was witnessed by thousands, but the first church, when Jesus leaves earth, had only 120 people. Why out of the thousands who saw miracles before their eyes was there 120? It's because most of them didn't have eyes to see. Sin had shut their eyes. Second thing, though, is you can't see what you're not looking for. 
And I, I started following Jesus about 20 years ago, and I've read the Bible a lot, but it's only very recently that I started seeing like, oh, this some um, kingdom stuff is actually kind of important. There's kind of a lot of it in there. And I didn't see it before that, mostly because I wasn't looking for it. So I just read right past it. In fact, how many times I, I thought, oh, I've even said the Lord's Prayer like hundreds of times in your kingdom come. And it didn't even dawn on me that I was praying for his kingdom to come. I didn't see it. And so a few months ago, I buy a Subaru Outback. And it wasn't until after I bought that Outback that I realized Every stinking fifth car in Bellingham is a Subaru. Like, I hadn't seen it before. I'm like, what? Where did these things come from? They've been there, but I didn't see them, and you can't see what you're not looking for. So I just want to give you a little challenge. When you leave today, I want you to pay attention to Subarus on the road to Bellingham, and all of a sudden you're going to be like, they're everywhere when you're looking for them. And it's the same thing with the kingdom. It's a treasure hidden in the fields until you look for it. And then you can see it. And so as you're reading through Scripture, I want to give you another challenge to look for the theme of the kingdom in Scripture because it is shot throughout the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, it's all in there, all over the place. So the other part of this parable that bugged me a little bit is, so the guy, he finds a treasure in the field, and then it says, with joy he goes and sells all that he has. And, and part of me wants to go, really? Is it really worth all that? Like, why is it worth it? What's it worth? And the answer is, the kingdom of heaven is worth everything. And it's worth more than just your possessions. It's worth every title, every dream, every goal, every power that you could accumulate, every relationship. The rule and reign of Jesus in your life is worth more than all of that. Why, though? I want to read a passage in Revelation that, that it's kind of like opening the treasure that's in the field. And, and if you were to look inside that, this passage, I believe, would be in there. And this begins to answer the question of why, and why is it so valuable? It was written by the Apostle John, who you could argue is like the poster boy for this parable, because he lost everything for the sake of the kingdom. The guy was boiled alive for his faith and survived. So since they couldn't kill him, they exiled him to the island of Patmos, and this is where he sees this vision. And this is a guy who's lost everything, and he's gained the kingdom. So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes right now as I read this. And I want you to picture in your mind and see this because I want you to see why the kingdom is worth everything that you have. And I want to give you a picture of what's inside that treasure in the field. So if you could just close your eyes and just, just paint along with me as I read in your mind. The Apostle John says this, and then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Can you see that? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly 
because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he'd been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. I want you to picture it, see it. And the seven spirits, uh, the eyes of the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. And saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And that's the treasure that's hidden in the field. And the kingdom is worth everything because the kingdom is Jesus. Problem is, merely selling your stuff isn't enough to buy the kingdom. And, and we have to be careful with parables. We don't take them too literally. We don't go beyond what they intended to sell. And so I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying have the mother of all garage sales. I'm not saying stop what you're doing and come join my student ministry team to reach the students of Whatcom County. Actually, I kind of am saying that in a little way. Selfishly, it's a little plug, but no, I'm not saying that. Um, it's more than just selling your stuff. There's this really interesting example where Satan uh, account where Satan takes Jesus to the highest mountaintop as part of a temptation, shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. I mean, like all of the riches and the splendor and the luxury and the fame and the power. And Satan says, Jesus, I'll give you all of that if you just fall down and worship Isn't that interesting? Satan tried to get rid of everything that he had so that he could gain the kingdom, but it wasn't enough. But isn't it also also interesting that he wasn't satisfied 
that all of the stuff of the world didn't satisfy them. And, and it's a lesson to us because we're trying to get that stuff, the relationships and the power, and, and it's, it's empty. If we don't have the rule of Jesus in our life, it's all empty. It doesn't satisfy. So more than just giving your stuff, the purchase of the field with the treasure involves giving all of your life. And it's a fair trade because Jesus gave all of his. The Apostle Paul, he says it like this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And God the Father has given us all things, including his Son. So the fair trade was that we would yield and give and offer all things to the King. And Jesus, he subscribes into like truth and advertising. So if the kingdom was a car and Jesus was selling it, he'd, he'd have a, a window sticker on there, right, that displays all the costs and the taxes and the fees and all that stuff. And this is the window sticker of the kingdom if you want to buy it. Jesus says, take up your cross. Wash people's feet. Be willing to give to the poor. Be willing to be poor. To be last in line. To be a servant. To submit your will to God's will. To lose your life in order to gain it. To bend your knee in worship and reverence to the king. To put to death your old life. That's the window sticker. But what you gain is of uncountable value. And that's because buying the treasure that's hidden in the field is a fantastic bargain. On the front end, this seems like like prohibitively expensive. Like, you mean i got to lose all my stuff? And, but then on the back end, after you've made that exchange you're going to find that it seems ridiculously planted in your favor and a seal. So I think back to my, um, my dried glue collection. <laughs> what did I see in that? I have no idea, but I valued it and I treasured it. And there's going to come a day when everything of this earth, everything, every aspiration, everything you're fighting for, everything that, that's apart from the rule of Jesus, all of that is going to seem like a dried glue collection. See, it costs you everything of no value to gain everything of incredible value. And Christmas, it starts with Black Friday, and God also has a Black Friday. And on Black Friday, there are deals to be had. I mean, deep, deep discounts. And this is God's Black Friday. God's Black Friday is Good Friday. It's when Jesus made the purchase on the cross, and he paid the price with his blood. And we end up paying nothing to gain the kingdom because Jesus gave up everything. It's a screaming deal because everything that we have is God's anyways. So I don't want to brag or like draw an attention to myself, but 
I, I exchanged an executive position in a company so that I could become a youth pastor at Christ the King. I exchanged a, a, a corner seat in an office for a corner office for a, a front row seat to like baptisms and to seeing high school and middle school students' lives change. And that was such a fantastic bargain for me. And I don't say that because that's what you have to do, but what I'm saying is whatever it is that God is leading you into, your obedience to the rule and the reign of Jesus in your life, the kingdom is worth it all. Because you're exchanging something of eternal value that you're receiving, and you're just giving up stuff that's temporary. And everything on this earth is going to pass away, it's going to rust, it's going to fade, it's going to be corroded, it's going to be destroyed, it's going to burn. It's all going to go. But the rule of Jesus in your life, his kingdom, is eternal and lasting. I want to just conclude. I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes one more time and imagine one more scene for me, if you could. I want you to imagine all of your stuff just thrown into a big pile. Just imagine this pile. It's a huge heap. I mean, put like your... Your, your house in there, your car, your TV, put your gadgets in there, your, your, um, your iPad, your iPods, all that. Throw it in a pile. Now, now take the contents of your bank account and chuck it on that pile and, and what's in your safety deposit box. And, and now I want you to imagine that pile and, and throw on that sucker like uh, all of your status symbols, your awards, your, your ribbons, your titles, your symbols of power your acceptance. And, and while we're at it, just throw on there everything your heart could desire, everything you don't have, but if you got, you think that you'd be really set, like your lottery win winnings, the, the fame, the fortune, the yacht, the fat contract, chuck that Audi A6 on there, the Super Bowl ring, put it all on that pile. And now I want you to see in the background of the pile, I want you to see the base of a massive mountain range. You can't even see the top of that mountain range. So in your mind, back up. Zoom out. Get further and further away. And, and you're looking for the top of that mountain. You don't see it yet. So you have to keep backing farther and farther away. And as you're backing farther away, your pile is shrinking. So you're backing farther away and you're craning your neck up and you finally see the top. And there it is. It's like Mount Everest. It's 30,000 feet tall, and that's the kingdom. And your pile of stuff has shrunk to the size of a sand grain in comparison to the kingdom. And there's Jesus. I want you to see him because he's saying, would you trade your pile of stuff for mine? He's offering me rule and reign in your life. And there's Jesus and it's by his blood on the cross and all that he's asking for you to make this trade complete is your full faith and confidence and trust in him. Jesus is the treasure that's hidden in the field. King gives value to the kingdom. And I'd like you to go home and have a discussion with God today. And there could be things that you're holding on to that you're afraid to let go of.